Today, our premiere episode in three acts. Meet Whitney Matheson, share some thoughts, and sing along. These are your friends and neighbors. Welcome to Friends and Neighbors. I'm Benjamin Wagner. Nearly 20 years ago, on the back porch of his modest Nantucket summer home, children's television icon Fred Rogers said something to me that changed my life. I feel so strongly, he said, that deep and simple is far more essential than shallow and complex. My brother Christopher and I spent 10 years asking some of Mr. Rogers' friends and neighbors just what they thought he meant by deep and simple. In our documentary, Mr. Rogers and Me, premiered on PBS in 2012 and has aired, been downloaded, and streamed hundreds of thousands of times since. It's the best, most meaningful thing Chris and I have ever done together. And so for years we've asked ourselves, what do we do next? Well, meet friends and neighbors. In Friends and Neighbors, we're asking our own friends and neighbors from around the block and around the world how they're cultivating depth and simplicity in their own complex lives. How are they building community, finding inspiration, peace, and solace? Today we're asking my friend Whitney Matheson. Whitney is a pop culture writer living in Brooklyn by way of Fredericksburg, Virginia from 1999 to 2014. She was the author of USA Today's Pop Candy blog, truly one of the first of its kind, covering television, music, movies, comic books. And since then, Whitney's had a stint as a journalist in residence. She launched a newsletter and a Patreon, written a children's book. She's been a great mom to her daughter, Opal, and she's been a great friend to me. You can find Whitney on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, Patreon, at Whitney Matheson, one word, and sign up for her newsletter at www.whitneymatheson.com. Wit! <laughs> Hi. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I never know how to answer that question anymore. How are yeah. you? I, I think it comes with an asterisk, right? It's like context. I'm well for the times and conditions. I am quite well for the times and conditions and I'm excited. I brought a Zoom shirt. Oh yeah, me too. <laughs> you frankly were present at creation on the topic of doing something like this. So um, bless your heart for joining me. I'm very excited to be your inaugural guest, but but also it's a lot of pressure. So I, I hope that I live up to what you're expecting. For all the times that I've sat down and shared a beer with you um, and talked about life and truth and beauty, like I never really dug into like, hey, what about that? Or what about that? Or, you know, so I, it's really a fun opportunity for me. Go for it, go for it. I could really use some therapy. So this is gonna be very helpful. <laughs> Isn't that what we've always done for one another as friends? <laughs> I know that you're from Fredericksburg, Virginia, right? Yeah, I was born in Fredericksburg. Yeah, grew up uh, in uh, right outside of it in a bit more um, rural area. I grew up in like an area that's kind of between suburban and rural. But yes, yes, Fredericksburg. I grew up down the road from the world's largest roller skate. <laughs> I, I had no idea. How did I miss that? <laughs> I'm intrigued by this idea that you were describing between suburbs and rural. So did it feel like it was slightly detached from sort of mainstream 80s, 90s America or no? Uh, I mean, back then, yeah, I felt detached, but I think a lot of us felt detached, Right. you know, back pre-internet yeah. days. We well, yeah, that's what I was getting at. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. And what did your, like, how did your folks end up there? Like, what were you doing in, in Virginia and what's the story with Sibs? I have a younger brother. He's three years younger than me. My parents were both teachers um, 
and my mother's originally from Virginia, Smithville, Virginia, uh, the ham capital of the world. Oh and my, gosh, my dad's from Tennessee. They were both teachers. I accompanied one of them to school always throughout my entire, from kindergarten on up through high school. And was that like, is that a good thing? Is that a, that must be, I mean, to me, that'd be a terrific fond memory. I adore taking my kids to school, but. I think it's more fun when you're younger than when yeah. you get It's older. a little square when you're a senior. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, uh, what were like were they a pop culture influence did you come to it on your own through uh middle school high school like how did you like and what was the like first spark maybe they were in the sense that i i mean i, I watched a ton of tv yeah and when you grow up somewhere where there's not a lot of stuff happening and there's not like a lot there aren't a lot of things to do and places to go you can either go outside and be in yeah. the woods all the time or you can be inside and like I was listening to music and, you know, watching TV and, and absorbing a lot of that stuff. Was it Brady Bunch in syndication? What, what was the what was the thing? TV sitcoms, soap operas, ev everything. And then the summers, I feel like I would spend so much time, like maybe we'd go see my grandparents, but I spent so much time at home reading and yeah, lots of books and watching TV and um, you know, music wise, luckily I had like a cool older cousin who ah. like, introduced me to a lot of stuff and you've got to like seek that stuff out. What did he or she bring you? What was the, like, give me a couple of catalysts. Stuff that was kind of popular, but not pop music. So like, yeah, REM and in excess. What did you dig into first? First I was reading a ton, anything I could get my hands on really. Um, and then you know, TV, the choices were limited. So whatever was on the three or four channels that we got at the time. And then it was also colliding with like the advent of uh, VCRs. So then, you know, you have like the 10 tapes or whatever that you watch over and over. What drove the interest, the fascination? It was probably the excitement of knowing that there was a world outside of the small town that I grew up in. The more stuff you watch and read and listen to, you realize that it's a bigger world out there because I just, I never really traveled to like other really parts of the, the country or the world. So that, that was the big driving force. It was a way to explore and to get out of the little spot in the woods between rural and, and uh, suburban in, in Fredericksburg. I think um, so. Were there values and faith oriented discussions in your house or was that never part of the equation? My grandfather was a preacher. So the faith part of my family was certainly that when we, um, I mean, the only times I went to church were to see my grandfather and, yeah. you know, like for holidays or whatever. I don't, I, I think I could only ask two people what it's like to be related to a man or a woman of the cloth. And oh, really? Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, he was like a country preacher. Wonderful. Like a, just a wonderful, kind, soft-spoken, amazing person. So I only had a positive relationship yeah. with, with that when I was growing up. You know, my parents were, were teachers and I saw them every day. And I think that was a big part of it too. Yeah. Yeah. What are some of the, like, give me, give me a couple examples of the adages or the sort of like, you know, from my father always used to say like, uh, you know, like have a goal, you know, achieve your goals, dream big, you know, that kind of goal thing. I guess I just, um, I grew up really believing that I could do anything mm -hmm. that I wanted to do, which not every kid is lucky enough to 
grow up feeling. Um, also to be kind to people uh, and to work hard. And those are the things that I definitely still try to teach my own child and yeah. do. As I come to you from where I work, yes. Well, you, you model that, you know, above all. I mean, Thank you, I try. Nothing if not a hustler. And uh, so you went off to college at some point. Well, hold on a second. What was school like? Like, you know, and why don't you give me a pop culture reference? Like middle. Oh, my school. Like, like what, would, uh, what, would, what would it be like? I mean. Peach Pit, Ducky. Like, <laughs> some kind of wonderful. I don't know. It wasn't super breakfast clubby. I, it, it was, oh, it was fun. Like it was when I was younger, you know, it was, it was pretty happy as I got older, I think I was very driven by the desire to get out of my hometown. Mm, mm. So I wasn't unhappy, but I was very desperate to see other things and learn other things and experience, have more experiences. And so how did that manifest in terms of motivating you to get out of Dodge? That was a strong driver to, to college, for example? Well, yeah, it motivated me to work like hard in high school. And then in college, I went to the University of Tennessee in Tennessee, which for me was like real. I was like, oh my gosh, I've gotten out. Like I'm so far, I felt very far away. Like a very, like, a, you know, and then the same thing continued, I think through college is I still had that motivation because also when I was a senior in high school, I went to New York for the first time. Give me a snapshot from that trip, like a detail. What's a memory? I was a senior in high school. I was chosen to be a, ma a makeover girl in Seventeen Magazine. What? And so, mm -hmm, and so <laughs> uh, Claire Danes is on the cover from 1995. You can look wow. it up. Wow. Uh, I went to New York. They chopped off my hair and dyed it red and put me in a crazy outfit. And yeah, it was like a whirlwind. I was probably only there like two days, not that long, but it was very influential on me. And I, as soon as I went, I could not wait to go back. Did you feel as though you saw a little bit of the magic being made, you know, sort of the hamburger being made, if you will, or did you, oh, right? Of course, because did you want to be a like, part of that or did you just want to live in that world or it was just big and fast and bright? I wanted to be part of it because at that time I also knew that I wanted to go into journalism and I was a writer. And so like, you know, even though I was like in this magazine, it was still like, oh, yeah. wait, I'm sort of getting a taste of the fact that this really exists and maybe it's possible. And yeah, so that was, it was very important to me. And then I don't think I went back until um, when I was a junior in college and I got an internship in, in New York. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Where was the internship? at a, fa a very large fashion magazine. Amazing, it's practically it, like- No, it wasn't amazing, it was, oh, was horrible. It horrible? <laughs> oh, no. Come on. I mean, it was amazing. You're jumping ahead, but tell me why it was horrible. I mean, I could fill in my own blanks. I could have written The Devil Wears Prada, but um, you know, it was, it was not really my scene. I'm not a fashion yeah. person. I'm not, you know, I wasn't, when you're an intern, obviously you're generally, yeah. not doing the thing you want to do, you know, like you're do, you're kind of just observing other people do the thing you want to do. When you tell that, when, you know, when you tell the career story to the young younglings these days, how does that chapter play into the story? It was wonderful because it brought me to New York and I got to live there for a summer on my own. And that was an incredible experience. And uh, I got to meet so many people and it's just as important to learn what you don't want to do 
as it is to know what you want to do. And so I came back from that knowing like, wait, I don't really want to work at a, I was thinking magazine, magazine, like, I don't think that's going to work. That's not exactly the kind of thing I want to do. I remember like doing something with like freelancers or like talking to the free. And I was, I thought, oh, they're the ones who actually get to, to write and to do the thing. And so, yeah, it was, a, it was really important because I got to sort of figure out what I like and what I don't like. And according to the sort of internets, you practically went straight from, and maybe you did actually, because the internship was during college. You went straight back after college to USA Today. Is that right? Yeah, I went back. Um, I took a, extra courses the semester after I got back from that internship, graduated early, mm. and then went to USA Today. But also, I should say, it was in, that was in 90, the end of 98, beginning of 99. That was also a time when there were a lot of jobs and journalism was doing very well. And there were a lot of uh, publications that also were starting big, you know, they were improving their websites or they were starting websites. And it was a very different landscape. And so, yeah, I started working for the website at USA Today. Yeah. You're selling yourself a little short. I mean, you obviously had moxie and hustle or you wouldn't ended up at the internship in New York from Tennessee in 1998, right? Yeah. I moved to New York and I was like, I'm going to work for Rolling Stone. And like a month later, I was interning for Men's Journal and which is down the hall from Rolling Stone. And then I, it was partly dumb luck, but also partly moxie and hustle. And like, so there's something about like 21, 22, 23, where there's some magic to that. Yeah, that fire. And I definitely had that start like... Yeah, I had that fire for sure. You still have that wit. I think I still have a little bit. I've, I know you. How did you make the move into what was early blogging? I was working at USA Today, but doing a lot of overnight shift stuff. I was in the news section because even when I started and I took a job and it wasn't the perfect thing, but I knew like if I'm here long enough and if I work hard, then maybe I can they'll get to know me and they'll realize that I'm very entertained, like I should be in entertainment. And when I was in college, I had written a column for the student newspaper that did very well. Uh, I had a great editor at USA Today. And I remember I had told her that I had, had this column that I had actually continued to do and sent out through email mm. after I had left college. And she was like, why don't you try to write something and we'll post it and we'll see what happens. Yeah. That's what I did. And I wrote something and it built and built. And I was there for 15 years. It is opportunity, timing, preparedness, right? Because you were writing on the reg and sending out basically a newsletter. Yeah. I was, I was basically doing an email newsletter yeah. at like, you know, beginning of 1999. Provide a little context on how you or how your editor differentiated what you came to do um, versus what was the norm. Because I spent a lot of time trying to talk people into writing in the first person every day in my career. Yeah, my style was always very personal and very first person. And that's something I think I've always done since I was a kid. I've had a lot of, I've been told I have a lot of voice in my writing. And sometimes that's criticism and sometimes it's a compliment. I was writing about entertainment. I was writing about um, anything real. I think the first thing I wrote was about TV, but, but really anything that spoke to me in a very personal, relatable way, just because that's the way I like to write and people responded to it. It started as a column. It slowly morphed because when people understood what a blog 
was, but I was also kind of doing a blog without any blogging software. So yeah, it was, it, it was honestly just like a way for me to write what I had always loved to write. And then kind of realizing that on the internet, there are all these other possibilities and th- ways that I could present things and, you know, and people loved a personal voice. That was, yeah. you know, that's what they wanted. I remember when I started at MTV news, we were, we wrote in the, I guess in the third person, right? Like it was every, there was no bylines initially. And by the time we were done, of course, there was 18 blogs and 9,000 bylines, but uh, that yeah. was what happened in that 15 years, really. Yeah. I mean, I would say like a lot of the, a lot of things that were more influential to me writing wise were like the magazines that I used to read when yeah. I was younger. So like, like Sassy Magazine, yeah. which I think a lot of people, like women my age reference, that was very personal. You would know the names of like all, and I still remember like all these names of the writers by first name and feel like you really knew their lives. And even Spin Magazine was amazing, like in the nineties and same deal. I still worship those writers. And a lot of them had a very personal way of writing that I think had an effect on me. I remember going to some meetup with Gothamist, if you remember Gotham. I mean, they're still part of WNYC, right? but back when like all of the people who blogged in New York City could get together in one bar, right? What I'm struck by now, and what's interesting with the, with the context of community, which is so, you know, sort of one of the core pillars of Fred Rogers' points of view, right? Um, is you were building community. I remember you were doing a meetup before I really had much of a sense of what that meant. So yeah. anyway, talk a little bit about the heyday. Um, yeah. So maybe, maybe share some absurdity. Um, but also like talk a little bit about how you began to come to think of community because you kind of have a tribe is how I, I don't know, you know, like a, you have like a posse. I guess I'm in your posse. Right? <laughs> I, I, sure, sure. <laughs> well, keep in mind when I when I started working at USA Today, I was 21 years old. I was very young. Yeah. And throughout all this stuff and, you know, when I started that, so I was like 22 when I started doing a blog and I think some of a lot of it was really I wasn't thinking about it I like looking back and people ask me about like cultivating community and all that stuff it it was very I I really did not think about it at the time I just I just did it and I'm very fortunate that I had people who let me do like crazy ideas and do whatever I could think of you know I wrote the thing but I also threw those parties like everywhere I went and like um and some people would throw parties and I wasn't even there. <laughs> to, I don't know that I was really thinking too hard about community, but I was very encouraged by, I got so many emails and I heard from so many people and I was just very moved by like the fact that I was affecting all these people emotionally that I think I just instinctively tried to amp, kept trying to amp things up. Mm-hmm. And also finding ways, because once you get, you hear from so many people, it's not enough. I mean, I'm a writer and I do like to be alone, but I'm also very, I'm a pretty social person, I think. So it's kind of like not enough just to like, you know, email people. It just seemed like a very natural next step to actually go and hang out with people in person. Yeah. You strike me as the kind of person who's like, I kind of want to do that thing. And well, I can do that thing because I know how to do that thing. And if I don't, I'll figure that thing out. And then you do the thing. Now I have nothing to lose whatsoever. So, you know. 
who cares? Yeah, I'll do whatever. I'll do anything. You mean you have nothing to lose compared to 21-year-old Whitney? That's true. That's <laughs> true. I mean, I, I, I totally I, understand your point. And in fact, initially, I was like, oh, I feel the same way, sort of. But at the same time, there's a lot more stakes, which is a nice transition. Um, give me a little meet cute, um, if you don't mind, because oh I don't think I know the story about how you met your spouse. How I met my spouse? If that's okay. Tell me sure. I met him when I was an editor at the college newspaper and I was the entertainment editor and he was a movie reviewer and I made him see terrible movies and we were friends for a long time and then dated, didn't date until after, after college. There was no, no uh, dynamic between a managing editor and a Contributing right. totally professional person. Right, I know. I'm teasing you, dude. So and you know, uh, newsrooms—they're like, they're oh, not no one ever meets anyone at in all. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, tell us a little bit. What I, I don't—I mean, I assume one day you woke up and got a crappy email from someone that said thanks, but we don't need a blogger anymore. Is that about right? Oh, now we're fast forwarding to when I got laid yeah. off. Yeah, yeah I, I was lucky to work in media for, for 15 years. That's an insane run. I don't believe that anyone's going to have that anymore, ever, anywhere. Yeah. Through that whole period of what, 99 through 2014, it was great at first. And oh my gosh, everybody was doing very well. And then, of course, every major media company started to fall apart. So by the time that I got laid off, I had... All, most of my friends were gone, either gotten laid off or gone somewhere else. I had been furloughed several times. Uh, I mean, it was not, it sucked a lot, but it wasn't a huge surprise. Did it feel like a setback? I mean, it must, I mean, I, I remember spending time with you at that point and- Oh, uh, I do, bit, I saw well, you like days well, after that happened. I'm pretty sure it's the first time we started, we hung out in-, it, in yeah, yeah, that's right. And, I, and we were both going through transitions. I was leaving MTV and going to Facebook. And um, I just remember both feeling kind of flummoxed. Like, ooh. Mm -hmm. You told me. You remember what you, you told me? Chin up, shoulders back. I still uh, say that. Uh, uh, hey, how about that? By that point, I, I had a baby. I had a one-year-old. Mm. And I was very exhausted because there was, it was just not sustainable for me to be in a job where I was, I was writing like 10 things a day or however many, because my job when I was, you know, in my twenties, it was my life. And then, you know, I had a baby. I had, I had just other stuff and there's just no way that I could do this, keep up the pace of what I had been doing. So I do think I would have reached a point of severe burnout, right. which I had experienced a few years earlier. So it was good in a way because it forced me to change things. But it was also very, very hard because that job was my identity right. for a long time. It was a good thing, but it was also very tough. The reason I ask is, is I'm really interested in the resilience that's sort of subtexted in the pivot, right? Like, so then you go back to teach in Tennessee and I'd like to hear about that, but then you again pivot back to New York. So like, you've got a real strong mode for uh, resilience and transition and transformation. And that's really interesting to me. Where do you find the fire? Like uh, some people just put their tail between their legs and call it, you know? Oh, I've always had that fire. I'm never going to lose that. That I turn it around. When that happened, I did talk to several, you know, people, 
media outlets and, and companies about working with them, nothing felt right. I didn't want like a repeat of my life. I didn't want to go back into a newsroom and do the same stuff and have a nanny watching my kid for like 40 hours a week. It was all very, very hard. And then um, this opportunity did come up where I could be a journalist in residence. I could go to Tennessee. I, that's what I, I did. And I could also freelance and have more time to spend with my daughter. It was a no brainer. And so I did it and I don't regret it. And it was a great period in my life um, that kind of doesn't even seem real sometimes when I think about it. And there did come a point where I realized that is not that was not where I was supposed to be. And I wasn't doing just that, that time had ended, that period had ended and it was time for me to come back to New York. And this is where the people, I can find my people. It's where I can do the thing that I want to do. And I honestly, I think I need that element of fight and I need that struggle uh, in order to feel fulfilled. I need a little bit of that hardship. Yeah. The friction, right? I had a very easy life in Tennessee. I had a very <laughs> nice house. It was great. I had too much sun and warmth. Someone come mow my lawn. It was great. A big old bathtub, but but I wasn't making anything really. You were back in New York, your you you and Ryan and and Opal for what uh, a two years when COVID hit. Does that sound right? Was it less? Yeah, it was right before my daughter started first grade. So that was also by design too. It was like, okay, it's time to come back. She's much more independent. Like I can kind of you know get back get back to it. I want to ask to like kind of one sentence answer questions and then dive into a deep and simple a tad and then a rapid round. Okay. And then yeah, 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 you're free to go. Give me one gold nugget that marriage has taught you. That marriage has taught me? The experience, the dynamic. Uh, oh my gosh. That's a big question to be put on the spot with. Yeah, I, wait till the next one. Just uh, um, I think that, uh, I, I, Oh my gosh, I, I, I love that look you just gave me. <laughs> I, I, I guess. The objective is not for you to feel uncomfortable. The objective is for no, us to hear our wisdom, you know? Like, I, I guess it has taught me patience is one thing. Yeah. Uh, and I think it's important to allow the person you're with to grow mm. over time. I think it's just important to to remind yourself that that people evolve over time and sometimes people need time and space. Yeah. yeah. And it's good to allow people time and space. Yeah. I mean, I needed I moved to Tennessee and that was one big reason I needed time and I needed space. Yeah. And now I'm back in New York, I have no space again. <laughs> the similar question is what has um, motherhood or what what give me a great nugget of wisdom or experience or takeaway from motherhood? thus far oh my goodness my daughter went back to school today for the first time oh um motherhood i i don't know i really just <sighs> what's the question I'm so <laughs> it's it, motherhood's tell me that i'm tired all the time we talked a little bit about community but I'm interested in how you cultivate it, how you contribute to it, what you derive from it. When you say community, I think of a physical community because I do have, I think, a virtual, as do we all, right? But I have a virtual community and people who do read my stuff if I send it out and there's that. 
there's that and cultivating that and that's virtual but the the real i'm what you have to have is a physical community and i think like during these last few months like that's become more apparent than ever so yeah for instance like i work um in a studio because i i know that i am great if i can have a little time by myself but i know i am better when I'm around other people and I'm surrounded by other, especially um, creative and smart people and people who are very encouraging. So mm -hmm. that's very important to me. And then of course there's like the community I have just in my neighborhood with like people from my child's school and stuff, but yeah, it, it is important for me to like physically interact with people. Yeah, I'm interested in reflection. Like, do you have a tactical approach to like, okay, it's Friday at five, I'm going to do this thing that I always do, or do you just have a spider sense that tingles and says, I need a minute, I gotta go. Well, yeah, no, <laughs> right yes now, that's both. funny thing to ask. Like, I walk a lot and I get outside mm -hmm. a lot. And I, a few, when I got my hair done for the first time after all this craziness, I did, um, I walked all across the Manhattan Bridge, like <laughs> into the hair slot. So like that sort of stuff is, is good. Um, uh, but then I also, you know, I write a lot and that's important too, I think when it comes to that. Is the writing um, its own form of meditation and reflection and sort of- I think it's a way to process things. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. When the person comes in and says, I love what you used to do, do and you're like, well, let me tell you what I do now. Um, what is your, what is your elevator condensation of <laughs> your elevator pitch <laughs> what you do now? Well, I do a weekly newsletter that I send out. So that is free and anybody can sign up for it. And it's very similar to what I used to do, but it's also sometimes a little bit more experimental and crazy. Uh, so I do that. I've written some children's books. I've written a play that hopefully will be seen one day when plays come back. Gosh, I forgot about that play. It's a striking play. There are many things that I have done. And, and then I do other stuff that's, you know, more the stuff that's paying my rent because you know the short stories aren't really paying the rent but now i do a lot a lot more a lot more because i have that freedom is it as rewarding as it is challenging to manage the multiple channels versus the single channel of usa today do you know what i'm asking yes it's way more fulfilling it uh it tingles more parts of my brain yeah i think because yeah i have and even the pay the stuff i do the freelance work that i do for that I get paid for it's still interesting stuff you know I, I work with like a lot of tv networks and i ghost write sometimes for people i do a million different things sure, you do um, words and pictures too right what language like writing is your thing but then i was like oh but there's actually you've i've also seen some there's, there's really some great really um, drawn pictures yeah like new yeah Yorker type cartoons you know oh well you're very fine well they're so like simple and clear and striking and often funny and moving simultaneously i mean Nicely Thank done. You. Thank you. Are you ready for the rapid fire round? This is just for fun. Okay, let's do it. What does this mean? I have to answer quickly. These are all like your top, you know, not necessarily okay. favorite. And it could be of the moment. I've right? not rehearsed this at all. I don't know. Who's what, your what hero? Happen. My hero? Yeah. Oh, God. My hero, Pee Wee Herman. What's your favorite month? Oh, my favorite month, April, because it's my birthday. And my birthday is my favorite day of the year. <laughs> There's many reasons we're friends. Um, what's the quote you live by? Shyness is nice, but shyness can stop you from doing all the things in life you'd like to by 
that's a Smith song. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Okay. What's your go-to place? If you're somewhere you can go just to like to restore your soul, what, what's that place? Anywhere in the world. Anywhere in the world? Oh God, the Strand? Bookstore? Uh, oh, yes. perfect. Book, top book. Top book ever? You can answer it any way you oh. want. That's hard for you. Give me a book uh, you love. Top book. Oh my God. I mean, I want to say like Harriet the Spy or Writing Down the Bones is good or um, Please Kill Me. You can give me the same for, for movies. Uh, I, like Harold and Maude yeah. or Four Cuts. I love that movie. Okay. Last one. R.E.M. song. My favorite R.E.M. song, Driver 8, followed by Don't Go Back to Rockville. Or, really? Perfect. Uh, maybe Pretty Persuasion. Uh, yeah, I can give you like a top 10. But yeah, Driver 8, number one. Always, always. Well, we'll do that podcast someday. My favorite music is still the music I liked when I was 15 years old. It always will be. Me too. Well, you did it. And it was awesome. You're my inaugural guest on Friends and Neighbor. You're oh. my friend and my neighbor. And I, I'm grateful. It was very enjoyable for me. Thank you very much. <laughs> What's your favorite R.E.M. song, though? South Central Rain, probably. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But Driver 8 is the first song that I played with Smoky Jungle Frog, the band, my band in college. Like, that's where we realized that we knew Oh like that we could be good. So it's funny that you mentioned that. Perfect song. Perfect, Perfect. song. Meantime, chin up, shoulders back. Bye. Bye. Whitney was way ahead of her time, sharing her authentic self online in the first person, building a virtual community that shared its authentic selves. I've worked with many journalists that look down on their audience, that put them down for loving Britney Spears, not the Pixies, or Reality Bites, not 400 Blows. And while Whitney may have an opinion on that stuff, she's not gonna look down on yours. In fact, she celebrates yours, and does every week in her newsletter. In the last few years, she and I have started sharing our creative goals with one another and checking in on our respective progress. I call it Goals Club, which I know she finds corny. Either way, I find it helpful to share my goals with someone else and be accountable to my progress. It's nice to know that someone's got your back, right? And so it's only natural that we would kick off our first friends and neighbors with Whitney because this show was one of those goals. And even though we've been talking about R.E.M. for years and years and years, Whit has thus far refused to pick a favorite R.E.M. song until, as you just heard, now, uh, in our first Friends in Neighbor conversation, she did so just for the moment, right? And that song is one of the early band's um, hits. Uh, it's called Driver 8. And Michael's type is super evasive, mumble, his lyrics are indiscernible. But what comes through the music and the mumbles, for me anyway, is a tension between some relentless forward motion, constant momentum towards a blurry distant destination, and the imperative to rest, to take a break before you go off the rails. In the simplest terms and the most convenient definitions, that's what it boils down to with me and my friend Wit. We help each other recognize and balance the tension between momentum, relentless, and the imperative to rest. So we're all part of one another's journey, beating on boats against the current, still a ways away. So this one's for you, Wit, and this one's for all of our friends and neighbors. Take a break, driver eight, driver eight, 
good break, we've been on this ship too long. Train conductor says, take a break, drive a break, drive a break, take a break, we can reach our destination. Still a ways away, still a ways. Saw the treehouse on the outskirts of the farm. Power lights at floaters so the airplanes won't get smashed. The bells are ringing through town again. Children look up all they hear is sky blue. Bells ringing and the train conductor says to get a rate, drive a rate, drive a rate, take a break. We've been on this ship too long.